You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Stick together and 3CR would like to acknowledge the traditional lands that we have produced this episode on, the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and future and recognise the ongoing impacts of colonisation across the country to the land and to Aboriginal people. In this episode, we're speaking about the education system. I want to acknowledge languages and teachings from all Aboriginal people that have been lost due to colonisation. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Stick Together for another episode. I'm your host, James Brennan. Thank you for listening. As always, this show is brought to you by the Community Radio Federation, and we thank them for their contribution to make uh, this show and to make all of the shows to be able to produce stories for communities right across the country. Thank you to 3CR and the other producers here at Stick Together for their ongoing work in producing radio that informs, educates, and agitates. Throughout this year on Stick Together, I've been putting together a series on the Australian education sector. Throughout the series, we've heard from current and former educators, as well as authors of the book Waiting for Gonski, both of whom are also current and former educators. Uh, Coming into this series, I've been having a lot of discussions with parents, students, teachers and others about where our education system was at. Naturally, a lot of people have been concerned about how the recent COVID interrupted period and what that impact was going to have for students. And I think there has been an impact, particularly for students who already had some engagement concerns with their education. The impact for some of those families will most likely be felt harder than uh, with those, you know, with less resources and finances to be able to provide the additional supports to those young people that may be doing it tough at the moment. Hopefully those young people and their families are able to seek the support throughout other programs and services to get the support that they need to go through the next part of their journey. Uh, You know, we know that traditional schooling can be hard for some young people and there are other options out there to support them. This period has also given some people an opportunity to reevaluate how education is delivered and perhaps look at some alternatives to the traditional model of teaching to perhaps ease some of the pressure that is placed on young people as they face challenges that come to them from even early primary school age through things like NAPLAN testing, uh, you know, the fears of, of climate change, what the future might look like, 
and uh, you know peer and parental expectations. As we come to the end of this series, I just wanted to take this moment at the top of the show to recap a couple of things that have happened throughout the series and talk a little bit about the process of why I'd put it together. So as to begin with, I wanted to let the voices of the guests and shows to investigate and tell a story of what is happening in the education sector. I think we have heard that uh, things reflected through the difficulties of teachers today, but also a path towards improvement. The last show uh, had guests Chris Bonner and Tom Greenwell from the book, uh, the authors of the book, Waiting for Gonski, How Australia Failed Its Schools. And they spoke of the need to revisit and update the changes that were implemented through Gonski reforms. The, inst- the interview we're about to hear on um, this episode is... Uh, talking about a union campaign that is looking to do just that. The overwhelming issue throughout the series has been about funding, the need to fund government schools to be able to deliver the education that teachers want to deliver to their students. Intertwined in this is a huge amount of government education funding that goes into private schools at the expense of government schools. There's a long way to go to revamp the education sector to deliver the quality education that we know uh, our teachers and our students wanting to deliver and receive, and also to deliver that equity across state schools. Hopefully this series has played a small role in starting a conversation about how we can make that change happen. Uh, Thank you, thanks for listening, and I hope that it's been something that has been interesting to you and might start some conversations in your circles. You are listening to Stick Together, and again, I'm your host, James Brennan. We're brought to you by the Community Radio Network and 3CR, And up next is the interview that I've conducted with Briley Stokes, who's the Vice President of Primary Studies in the Australian Education Union. All right, uh, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Stick Together. And this week, uh, you know, continuing our series about the Australian education system, and really uh, lucky to have a voice from the Australian Education Union today. Briley Stokes is the Vice President of the Primary Sector. Briley, thank you for joining the program. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. So over the year, I've been hearing from those kind of inside the education sector to find out, you know, what's what's been happening, how it can be improved, and just, I guess, to hear the voices of teachers and educators. Uh, and I wanted to start, and not that it's all negative, it's, you know, just kind of hearing different ideas and, and ways to kind of improve things, but I wanted to start with something positive. And I just wanted to hear from you about, you know, what kind of, what inspires you in your role at the Education Union? What inspires me is the work that's done in Victorian public schools because um, being a teacher myself and my mum was a teacher, I definitely wanted to get into teaching Um, and it is as rewarding as people think, it's as challenging as people might imagine, Um, but it's really difficult work and you do get rewards but the challenges are immense as well and so why I got into wanting to be more active within the union Um, from being a teacher is really to support school staff in what they do to make their working lives a bit better um, and certainly to give them support and a voice within um, department and government to be able to um, raise issues, challenge policies, question funding and just try and get them the best terms and conditions that they can to do the best work that they can in our schools. And I guess kind of to follow up from that, as you know, maybe you could elaborate a bit on your journey from a teacher to be uh, a vice president within the AU. And I guess, you know, not you don't have to tell your whole whole story here, but just, uh, you know, I mean, I guess for, for teachers that may be listening, 
um, you know, who are members of the union, they might be thinking, oh, I could become the delegate at work and, you know, what, what that might lead to and how, you know, what it kind of looks like to transition from a worker within the sector to working within the union that represents that sector. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as I said, my mum was a teacher, so I always was going with her on when I had pupil free days and those sorts of things and loved helping in the classroom. So uh, in the later years of secondary, that's what I decided that I wanted to do. Um, And my parents being unionists, union was always part of what you would do when you start uh, working within whatever field you're in. But certainly mum was a member of the AEU that as soon as I was a student member at uni, I joined the AEU. And that's something that we encourage all pre-service teachers to do. We offer free student membership um, that does give people access to student networks and free professional learning, networking opportunities, all of those sorts of things. Um, while they're studying teaching. Um, And then for me, when I began, uh, so I was a student member, I changed over to a full member. And then um, in my first year, I became involved in our new educators network. So my first year was in um, regional Victoria. So I was part of the new educators network, which was really important um, to be able to speak with other graduates right across the state um, as part of our network and be able to talk about our similar uh, challenges and what was rewarding in our first year, what sorts of supports we thought that we needed, um, and the union was able to facilitate that for me. And then when I moved back to Metro Melbourne, I just became more involved um, both at my school and I became the the sub-branch rep at my school, um, attending regional meetings And then from there, the opportunity came up to join council. So we have a state council with 120 um, primary, special and secondary school members that come together um, as elected representatives of members. And I was part of that. And then um, at some point I became on our branch executive and then through that involvement was able to uh, nominate for what was the deputy vice president primary role. Um, And I was in that role for a bit and then nominated for the vice president role. So I would encourage anybody who is interested in what the union's doing um, is to get in contact with us because while it might be that you want to stay in school and, and never want to take on a role with a paid role within the union, um, there's plenty of opportunities via our networks and social media groups and our training sessions and lots of ways to be involved um, within your union. And that's important for us because we only act as leaders on behalf of what it is that members are wanting and seeking and telling us. So we'd like our members to be as involved in possible, um, as possible for them in whatever way they want to. Yeah, great. And I think, yeah, it is really important having those that have kind of worked within the sector as those that can represent as well. I mean, I know others can play a really important role too, but uh, having some of that representation is really helpful. Um, continue on that point and it, you know it concerns me at least that union membership in Australia is you know increasingly um, going down and you know I think it's worryingly low but the teachers continue to have a really strong connection to their union what do you think contributes to this and I mean do you think oh, we've seen in Victoria you know recent um, you know campaign for uh, you know, collective agreements and that the union is able to play a really strong role in this. And, you know, we we see this play out, um, you know, with kind of great media attention as well as, uh, you know, great campaigning from the unions to uh, try to push for some of the things that teachers are asking for during that time. Do you think that plays a role in the strong union membership? And, I mean, you mentioned that kind of transition from student to a paid member as well you know that sounds like a really good pathway 
If you think, um, yeah, why is the teachers union able to kind of buck some of these trends in declining union membership? Yeah, I think there's a range of things. Our campaigning definitely is part of it. When we uh, approach pre-service teachers on university campuses and ask them what they know about the union, they might not know a lot uh, about the union movement and, and what our union provides, the breadth of what we provide, but they often can talk about campaigns and they can uh, reference some of the ads they might have seen or, or the campaigns that we've run. So I do think that that uh, does help people have an awareness of what unions um, trying to achieve and campaigning for and that aligns um, with what they're studying and wanting to go into. So I do think that the campaigning definitely helps. It certainly helps as well when we're trying to speak with non-members who are currently employees as school staff um, because our campaigns are directly related to either their terms and conditions or the sector that they work in. So when we talk about school funding, um, it's very easy to speak to people about what challenges do you have? What programs could you run if you had additional funding? Uh, where do you think the school needs additional funds and how would that benefit your students? Um, that's what we're on about. That's what we're trying to achieve. And if you join with us, you can work with us on trying to um, affect that change. So I do think that the campaigning is definitely important. We also run um, very strong professional areas of our union. So when, when people are looking for work or they're trying to... Um, learn different areas and go for different roles. They want us to have a look at their uh, applications. So we do a lot of that professional side of things as well. Um, in addition to the industrial support, which is obviously what most people think of, um, is if I get in trouble, will the union help me? Do you have a lawyer? So, you know, of course we have a lot of industrial supports um, that people can tap into as well. And I think more broadly, we have a very strong um, structures within our schools. So when people join a new school. Um, they are generally part of an induction program if it's at the start of the year and, and our members have a, a role to play in induction so they can talk about what the union does at the school and, and how they can be involved in that. Um, and so coming into a school we would hope that the sub-branch rep has a conversation with new people and talks them about what we do here and what supports they need and how they can do that. So that collegiate support um, and that sort of um, representative structure in each school does help as well for people to feel like they're part of it and that the union is in this in their workplaces as well. Mm, it sounds like the union is really integrated into a workers kind of journey into their their role which is great. Yeah I wonder you could speak about you know what are some of the challenges that you think teachers are facing currently? I mean some of the things that you know we often hear about and you know during these times where collective bargaining agreements might be um, negotiated are things like class sizes and, you know, extra classroom support or being paid for marking and things like that. Are these still some of the issues that are coming up or, you know, are there other kind of things that were being raised over this period? Uh, the two main things that comes up all the time that we've tried to address in our current in-principle uh, agreement that's currently um, being considered by employees is workload was the number one issue that both principals, teachers and support staff sought a resolution to um, in the new agreement and support staff in particular um, salary was a big issue. Our lowest paid ES staff are, are not earning a living wage or are often working double jobs, they're often underemployed, their time fractions aren't what they would want. Um, so for them it was salary but 
teachers and principals and support staff as well, workload definitely was their number one issue. And so um, there is issues around workload about class size is definitely something that impacts workload, but our members said they definitely wanted a reduction in face-to-face teaching. So the amount of time you spend in front of class teaching um, hasn't changed in around 30 years and the breadth of work that people are doing but the challenges within the classroom and and the range of student um, students that you need to respond to in the classroom has definitely increased um, but that time hasn't decreased so we know that members need more time away from their class to prepare to uh, plan for what they're going to do, to differentiate what they're about to present to their students, meeting students' need, Uh, they need more time to be able to do that. We also heard from members very clearly that as well as a reduction in face-to-face is what they were seeking, they also needed more autonomous time. So even if you did have some time away from your class, very often uh, the time, that time was then um, planned for you, that you will meet as a collegiate group, you will do this piece of work, you will moderate this piece of work, you will analyse this data. And what they said was when they're working such excessive hours and over 15 hours a week unpaid, they were doing that individual work. So they were taking the lesson plans they might have planned as a team but doing that differentiation having a look at the student work, planning what they were wanting to do. And what they wanted us to do in the in-principle agreement was try and drag some of that time back into their paid week to give them more autonomous time during that week to be able to do that work. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, yeah. I mean, I guess I wonder if that, is that something, I mean, I'm sure there are issues that teachers have um, been contemplating and, and wanting to advocate for a while, but if some of these things come, you know, through the pandemic lockdowns and, you know, seeing that there's perhaps other models of, of doing things and, and you know, is that some of that kind of thinking come from that? And and I guess with that, have, how has the union uh, perceived the kind of return to classrooms after the lockdown? I think in terms of the way things are done, Definitely, there's been um, it's been an opportunity to revise the way things are done, how we prepare, how we work, and, and are there ways um, that could be done differently in that space? Mm-hmm. The complicating factor, of course, is that um, school staff, along with the rest of society, are completely burnt out and worn out, um, not just from lockdowns and COVID and what we've all been through, but our school staff have never before had to flip the way they teach um, with such little notice. We had remarkable work from school staff to all of a sudden be able to take all of those lessons you've planned and turn them into remote and how do you engage students how do you even use the technology to be able to do that in the first place checking in with students trying to engage them via online means Um, all of that was a significant amount of work as well as their own mental health and the mental health of their students and the mental health of their students families Um, all of those things were significant so it's not only returning on site in terms of how you do your work but that resilience and and how you're able to do the work has been really impacted by all of these changes and and the significant workload there's also significant workload in returning because of course some of the things you might have done you hadn't been able to so then you've got to catch up on those things and do those assessments and and undertake that work Um, at the same time while we're not exactly out of COVID or I'm not sure we ever will be but schools are still having to think about can we run that event can we run that camp all of those changes were still happening at the start of the year so you're trying to Uh, transition new students into a school or into a new year level while you still had um, all of those different restrictions and things in place at the same time. Yeah, it needs a little bit more than, uh, you know, sort of words and a pat on the back that some of the, um, you know, teachers did receive, I guess, a lot of praise during that time. But 
um, you know, praise doesn't sort of cover, pay the bills or, um, you know, cover some of that extra workload. Oh, you know, I think some of the issues that, you know, I've covered in the series, I guess, around some of the concerns around funding towards private schools and, you know, what that may take away from the public education system. And with that, you know, some of the homogenization of the curriculum across the country, you know, I guess, you know, what's the union's kind of position on some of that? And, and how does the union work in kind of advocating for teachers in some of those kind of bigger political picture issues? Yeah, so as a federal union, uh, we are currently rolling out our Every School, Every Child campaign, which uh, your listeners might remember used to be called Fair Funding Now, and before that it was Gonski, I give a Gonski, mm-hmm. um, and it was Public Education for Everyone or something like that. So it's been a very, very long campaign and at different points has significant funding brought into schools and we know that um, part of what we'll be delivering in the, the new agreement is because the government has additional funding um, as a result of those bilateral agreements that were able to be reached um, as part of those federal campaigns. So we do know that's helping, but we are still the lowest funded state. Um, for public education and we know that the current uh, Andrews government has made big investments in um, public education but that gap still needs to be narrowed significantly because our schools don't have the funding that they need Um, and some of that can go to additional classroom support and the sorts of things that um, people mention associated with workload but you know, even class sizes can't be reduced without additional funding. It's very expensive to be able to deliver lots of what those workload claims are. Um, But importantly for our members, they don't only talk about workload, but they talk about student access to support. They talk about the length of time that students are waiting to see a speech therapist. They talk about the lack of getting mental health support into schools and and the difference that makes um, for those students' experiences at school and more broadly is very significant. So we really need um, in both elections that will be coming up this year um, a government that's going to commit to funding public education fairly and commit um, from a Commonwealth perspective to funding the student resource standard because we know what the standard is, we know how much schools need to be funded just to reach that standard um, and the current deal doesn't do that and it will always leave public schools behind and they're the schools where the students with greatest need attend. So we need governments that will pay attention to that um, and fund schools fairly so that staff can do what they know they need to do to support students to reach their full potential. Yeah, in the last episode I spoke with Tom Greenwell and Chris Bonner who uh, recently wrote a book, Waiting for Gonski, which looks at um, kind of evaluating the Gonski reforms. And, yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, um, looking at you know, what was uh, achieved during the Brad Gillard governments. And it sounds like the union, I was going to ask, is it time to kind of update some of those education reforms? And it sounds like the union is going to be pushing that and, you know, perhaps towards trying to advocate that, um, you know, with the election coming up and and whoever is uh, elected after that, that, you know, perhaps someone a little bit more favourable to being able to, you know, advocate and, and get some of these reforms to come in. Is that the idea of this campaign? Yes, absolutely. So seeking commitments from all the major parties around the federal election that they're going to fairly fund uh, public education and bring all schools to at least that minimum resource standard um, is definitely the goal of the campaign. So just to, um, we're just going to um, finish up, just got a last question. And so, yeah, throughout the series, I guess one of the main ideas is exploring the idea of where the education system, you know, has been before and, and kind of evaluating where it is today. What are your thoughts on on the current state of the education system, where we're at and where we're headed to? 
Big question to finish. (laughs) It is a big question. Um, I think that um, the education that's being provided in Victorian government schools is outstanding. Um, The challenges are more immense than before in terms of um, the amount of individual learning plans you have to develop, more understanding of uh, differentiation and what the different needs are in in every classroom. Um, so that's a significant change in terms of meeting all those needs. And unless we get additional funding, um, we can't deliver the workload relief to be able to allow staff to do that work. Um, and we can't fund schools both within the school programs, but also bringing in support such as the allied health support um, if we can't afford to do that. So I think that school staff are working definitely longer hours than they have before. And the workload pressures are longer, uh, are more intense than they have been in the past. And unless the funding comes in, it's hard to see how those those things can be addressed in a way that meets both staff and student need. And I think it's a really significant time that we're seeing across the country in public education, staff shortages, um, salary issues, every single branch of our union talk, their members are all crying out for workload relief, how we're attracting, attracting and retaining our staff and how we're giving staff the best conditions to be able to deliver the best for their students unless we have a government in place, both state and federal, that are going to fund our schools to be able to address those issues. Mm. Yeah, great. Thanks a lot, Riley. I really appreciate coming on to the show. And I think that there's some really, uh, you know, great things to contribute to the series here. And also for any teachers that are listening, some really good, um, you know, things there to take on for if they want to become more involved in the union. And also, you know, I think that if some of those things are to be achieved in terms of smaller class sizes and lessening the workload, that's really going to rely on other people choosing a career as a teacher as well. So, you know, that there's a strong union there that you can, uh, that can support you and you can be a part of a campaign to advocate for your rights in the classroom. So hopefully there's lots of people out there that are thinking about that as a career now or down the track. But thanks a lot for joining me today, Riley. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you so much. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the program or to hear more episodes from the other producers or from this series on the Australian education sector, then head to 3cr.org.au or go to wherever you listen to your podcast and you'll find plenty of back episodes there. To get in touch with the producers of the show, you can contact us at 3cr at gmail.com. If you've got a story or an issue at your workplace that you'd like us to cover, uh, please get in touch. My name's James Brennan. Thank you for listening and thank you to the Community Radio Federation for their support. Thank you to all my guests in this series. I appreciate the time that you've taken to engage in these ideas and to help put it together and all those others that I've had conversations with on this topic throughout the last couple of years. Uh, To go out with, we're going to hear a new track from Xavier Rudd called Ball and Chain. But remember that wherever you are and whatever you do, there's a union for you. Until next time, stay strong and stick together. How this place was settled The murder and the shame Secrets being exposed, child 
truth we must uphold to constant fight for justice to pave the way for change living in denial going through the same old cycle penal colony survival depending on your ball and chain system gonna customize you the man you gonna redefine you gotta hunt like a nighttime spider depending on your ball and chain
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.